and welcome to the American Patchwork and Quilting Podcast, a podcast aimed at making your quilting life more fun and creative while connecting with quilters just like you. Join the staff of the magazines you love for a great episode filled with tips and tricks. Enjoy! Hi, and welcome to the American Patchwork and Quilting Podcast. I'm Lindsay Mayland, and I'm so excited to be here with you today. I'm joined today by Jody Sanders, the editor of American Patchwork and Quilting Magazine, and Doris Brunette, the editor of Quilt Sampler Magazine. To start off this podcast, we're going to chat about a great on-the-go project, English paper piecing. Both Jody and Doris are avid EPPers and have some great tips to share with us today. Thank you, Lindsay, and we are excited to be here because Doris and I both are ones who like to have this on-the-go project with us all the time, whether we're camping or sitting waiting for kids' activities or in a doctor's office. Um, English paper piecing is a great alternative to just sitting there and maybe um, reading or trying to pass the time, and uh, I think we'll call it EPP today just for the little shortened version most people know. Uh, what English paper piecing is, but just in case you don't know, it is different than foundation paper piecing. So for English paper piecing, you're going to take a template, a shape of some kind that's usually cut out of paper, and then you're going to wrap your fabric around it, um, adhere it in some way, and we're going to kind of talk about the different ways that you can do that, and then you sew your pieces together. English paper piecing um, is a great, like we mentioned, on-the-go project, but it is different that you're not sewing through the paper uh, like you would with like a foundation paper piecing. So just kind of a little clarification there before we start in case you aren't familiar. English paper piecing has been around for a long time. Um, they've got a lot of examples of it in different museums. Uh, it was called mosaic quilting um, back in the olden times. So you might, you might hear it referenced as mosaic quilts before they started really getting popular with the grandmother's flower garden quilts, which is probably what most people think about when they think about English paper piecing. I started uh, about 15 years ago doing English paper piecing. So Doris, how about you? When did you start? Uh, probably about 10 to 12 years ago, and it was a class learning how to do grandmother's flower garden <laughs> blocks. It seems like that hexagon shape is one that people um, kind of get introduced to it, uh, the process of doing English paper piecing. But of course, there are lots of other shapes out there. There are companies that provide uh, different shapes that you can buy, and we're going to talk about all those different things. But first of all, what do you do when you want to try it out? What you probably need to do before you cut everything out for your project is to actually start by maybe cutting just a few pieces and sewing them together. See if you really enjoy the process, because you don't want to cut out pieces for a whole big quilt and then get into it a little bit and go this is not for me um, I think trying it out first and just doing a little bit of testing seeing what you like and what you don't like before you actually cut a big quilt out that's a really good suggestion um, and as you mentioned there's a lot of different shapes that you can use um, it's kind of fun to play around if you decide after you try it out that you do like it and you want to explore a little bit um, there's all kinds of examples especially if you just uh, check out hashtag on Instagram or something, hashtag EPP. Um, you'll see all kinds of examples, and they use diamonds and parallelograms and triangles and all sorts of different shapes and sizes. So there's a lot of patterns of variety out there to There try. are a lot of patterns, but you also can create your own. Mm -hmm. And if you want to do that, there 
uh, are graph papers out there that you can download. And again, in different shapes, they can come in triangles or hexagons or, or different shapes like that. Um, get out your graph paper and your colored pencils and start playing around and see what you like. Diamonds is another really popular shape for English paper piecing. So um, you may just start with a single round of something. And then if you have that graph paper, you can add different colors. You can put lights and darks in different places and really give you some different effects. We mentioned using templates and wrapping fabric around the templates. The easiest way to save time, it, rather than making your own templates, is to purchase pre-cut ones. Paperpieces.com is a good source for that. Um, they probably have the most variety. I think, out there. If you do want to try making your own, there's different cutting tools that you can use. I've used um, a paper punch before, just uh, like the Fiskars um, scrapbooking paper punches. I think that's usually the department that you find them in, and made it with cardstock or old manila file folders. We do recommend that if you use file folders, you don't use color ones because those might bleed into your fabric. Yeah, so, I and cardstock too, stick with whiter cream. Right, <laughs> and I had that happen one time. I used oh. a red file folder that I was trying to repurpose and uh, cut some pieces out of hexagons and used it on uh, some light shirtings, and that didn't work so well. So the colored can come off of those folders. So just be careful about that and make sure that you've got a more neutral color. I think the thing to remember with the cutting is that if you've got a, a punch that you're using, such as the Fiskars one, they're a little more limited in size. So there may be four or five sizes versus a die cutting machine where you have several different sizes. The punches, just remember, don't try and cut your fabric with the punches. Right. Um, if you're wanting to cut fabric, you probably are better off with your rotary cutter, your scissors, or die cutting system. But certainly the, the pre-cut pieces, I think they're kind of my favorite because there are lots of companies out there, but paperpieces.com has such a wide variety of shapes and sizes um, down to like eighth of an inches that you can um, change the size from whatever diamond or hexagon or jewel piece that you might be using. The other thing that they provide um, is a, a plastic template that you can use to do some fussy cutting. And we're going to talk about fussy cutting in a little bit. But you can get a template, plastic template, to also match whatever cut pieces you have. And those templates can be used to cut your fabric. You just set the plastic a clear template over your fabric and then cut around it with your rotary cutter. But that's another way to cut your pieces as well. We didn't talk about the types of fabric that you should be using. So 100% cotton is probably your best. Um, something like a batik can work, but it's really tightly woven. And so with batiks, right. you do have to be a little more careful with your thread choices. You want to make sure that probably your thread matches your batik, which means you're switching out threads if you're switching colors. Um, because batiks are tightly woven and it, those, those stitches show a little more. Um, but you also don't want anything that's too loosely woven either because right. then it won't hold together, particularly if you have smaller pieces. But yeah, you have that seam allowance that you're turning under. So if you've got wool or even flannel, I don't know that I would do EPP with flannel as well because that's a bulkier fabric. And trying to turn those seam allowances over um, and, and getting them to lay flat, I think, would be more of a challenge as right. well. Right. And I agree with you on the um, tightly woven fabrics such as batiks. I've used, I've used them, but I always make sure I use a smaller needle and a higher weight thread that's a lot finer thread. So it doesn't, doesn't show your holes in your stitching. Yeah, and that's a good point when we talk about thread 
and needles and you talk about a higher weight thread, which some people would think, oh, that means it's thicker, it's thicker, higher, right. but it's actually the opposite. So it's kind of counterintuitive a little bit, but the higher weight your thread, the actually the thinner it is. So an 80 or 100 weight thread is really kind of ideal for doing this type of English paper piecing. Um, if you're going to use like a 40 weight thread, that's going to end up showing quite a bit and that's probably yeah. not a weight that you want to use to be doing the actual stitching of your pieces together. Now, one of the things that um, you have to do with English paper piecing we talked about is that you have to put the fabric around some kind of template, usually a piece of paper, but there are plastic templates out there as well that people have used. When you're doing that, you can do it in different ways. You can thread-based, which is probably the most common way that people are familiar with, and that means that when you're wrapping the fabric around the template, you're using thread and a needle to adhere to that particular template. So the most traditional way is where you would take your needle and thread and go through all layers. So you would go from front through the template, through the back, and all the way through to adhere those pieces together. And then at some point you would cut out those basting stitches. Those are just considered basting stitches. Then more recently, probably people are just used to the thread basting where you turn it over and you're just catching a corner of each thing. You're not actually going right. through all of the layers. Another option is glue basting, which is what my personal preference is. It's quick. You don't need a lot. There are special glues. It's like a, a water-soluble glue, like and it comes in a glue stick that you can use. And you just need a little dab. You put a little bit of that on the paper, and when you fold the fabric over, um, that glue will adhere the fabric to the template just temporarily. You're going to take these templates out at some point, so that's the thing you need to remember. Don't put too much glue. Don't put too much thread, whatever um, basting method you're using, because that template's going to have to come out at some point. But I think you use a different method for right. basting. Right. Yeah, my, I was was using the glue basting method. That was my favorite method of doing it just because it was much quicker than thread, which was how I was originally taught to do the thread basting um, by just catching the seam allowances on the back. But recently I've started using um, a starch based. It's actually called Missy's Favorite Starch Pen from Traditional Primitives. It's available on Amazon and through her store. Um, you just fill it with starch and it's a brush pen on the end and you apply it to the edges just as you would the glue and then use the clover mini iron or similar mini iron just to press that down. So when you're ready to take it out, just wetten it a little bit or even just pull and it's enough to pull the fabric away from the template and remove the template. So it's a really personal preference or personal choice um, how you want to do it because there are some really great methods out there. I know one of the things that we also do uh, and have seen a lot of in the English paper piecing and that both you and I do is fussy cutting our fabric. And maybe why don't you talk a little bit about how you go about doing that? Um, I've used a plastic template like um, you suggested before, and I have different ones I've made my own. Um, I've used the ones from paper pieces. Then there's also like techniques where you can use mirrors to set up to get an idea of where to cut your fabrics. Um, I tend to use like bigger, bolder prints. Jody uses more pr primitives, reproduction fabrics, so she uses tiny prints. Um, but especially with the bigger, bolder prints, using those mirrors where you set up um, at an angle and then it kind of like mirrors the fabric into the other two. You can see how it's going to pieces are going to fit together. One of the things that I like to use in my fuss cutting with because I do use a lot of reproduction fabrics is finding a stripe 
or a big paisley. Those right. work great for fussy cutting. And I call it Swiss cheesing my fabric because <laughs> by the time I get done, it just, the fabric has all these little holes in it. And you need to look at a repeat. So some of the fabrics that um, I have used that have been the bigger, bolder prints, those repeats are 24 inches. So I got to go 24 inches and then another 24 inches before I get a repeat. On some of the reproduction fabrics, I can get a repeat at 8 inches or 12 inches. So right. I don't require as much fabric. And that's right. the thing that's you need to point. think about, too, is that if you are using something um, that has a longer or larger repeat, you're going to need more pieces. Because in most cases, you need either six or eight repeats to get the design that you want, whether you're making an eight-pointed star or a hexagon that's maybe six petals. Um, you just need to make sure that you have enough fabric to uh, for all of those repeats. Now, you can use different parts of the fabric again, but just making sure that you have enough because it's not like you're cutting these pieces side by side by side. That's a good point, especially as you're planning a project ahead to, to take that into consideration. Um, one of the things that I like to do is um, just have like a basic thread color that I can throw in, like maybe one spool of thread to cover all of my pieces. And I like either a gray or a taupe those both work well for me. How about you, Doris? What I've do used you? a gray, um, kind of a medium gray color for most of my EPP. Um, there, occasionally I'll match a thread if I happen to have something on hand that'll work, but for the majority of it, I use a gray. And how about, how do you hold your pieces together? Uh, mine, I tend to use a wonder clip to clip them, and um, just recently discovered that you can do it with magnets, the magnets that are um, made by sew tiles, that works too. Actually, I work with really small pieces, so usually my fingers work pretty well um, to just hold my pieces together as well. So You do work with tiny pieces. I do, <laughs> yeah. Well, great tips, you guys. I loved hearing all of these, and uh, I'm sure all our listeners will have great luck with their English paper piecing this summer. So we have a lot of resources for EPP on our website, so visit our show notes at allpeoplequilt.com slash podcast for links to helpful videos and how-tos. We'll be back after this quick ad break. Hey, folks, it's Hunter Lewis, Editor-in-Chief of Food & Wine. This fall, we're launching the new Food & Wine Classic in Charleston with our partners at Southern Living Travel and Leisure, and we want to see you there. This incredible three-day culinary experience will showcase the hospitality, food, drinks, and culture of one of our favorite cities in the country. Join us September 27th to 29th to learn more from iconic chefs, share a glass with innovative wine experts, and get to know Charleston with one-of-a-kind experiences curated by the experts at Food & Wine, Southern Living, and Travel and Leisure. Tickets are on sale now at foodandwine.com forward slash Charleston Classic. That's foodandwine.com forward slash Charleston Classic. See you down in Charleston. I'm back with Jody and Doris for Ask Us Anything, a segment where we answer your most pressing quilting questions. We have two great questions here today. The first is from at SoPink on Instagram. She asks, what's the best way to ensure your blocks come out the same size? Mine are always too small or too big. I think the most important thing here is that we remember that precision is really important in quilting because even if you are an eighth of an inch off, if you multiply that times the number of seams you have in your quilt, you definitely are going to have problems when you're trying to put put all your pieces together. So I think the fact that you're recognizing that things are not the right size is really important but now how do we help you get them to maybe be the right size or put them together even if they aren't the right size what do you think Doris 
Yeah, I think um, making sure that you're cutting accurately from the beginning is important. Um, it's easy for a ruler to slip. If you're cutting a you know, five inch square, it's easy to slip and get an extra 30 seconds of an inch or 16th of an inch. That's gonna make a big difference in the long run. Um, even if you're sewing with an ac uh, accurate quarter inch seam, if they're not cut all the same to begin with. And I've had that problem, I've been there. <laughs> Definitely test your quarter inch seam on a regular basis. I test mine after every time I power my machine back up because you never know what you might forget what you were sewing on last time, even if your machine is computerized and has that memory. Um, but it's just always a good idea because they, the needle can shift, needle position can shift, test it and retest it is my recommendation. And uh, my machine has a quarter inch foot. Um, I actually have two quarter inch feet, one without a guide and one with a guide. Um, I do like using them, but I, do, do you use a quarter inch foot? I do. I use one without a guide. Okay. The other thing that you can do um, is layer up, well, probably two or three or four layers of painter's tape and use that as your guide. Um, it'll help if you've got more than one layer because then your fabric kind of abuts against that. So again, you want to make sure you've got an accurate quarter inch, but painter's tape is a, a hack that you could use to uh, get that quarter inch seam allowance if you don't have a guide or aren't sure where on your throat plate that you should be looking at. That's a really good suggestion. Um, and, and remember, if you're blocks do end up and they're not quite the right size, if they're all the same size as the next block, if they're getting sewn together block next to block, go ahead and put them together. Yeah, your overall quilt top's going to be a different size, but it's not going to make a big deal. If you have sashing or a border that it needs to fit in, that might make a difference. But um, if they all go together, don't worry about it. Just, just piece them together. And I know some people like to make some shapes or units larger and then trim them down. So, for example, triangle squares. And, and I do like to do this. I feel like even though I've been quilting for almost 30 years, I still oversize things and trim them down. I do, too. I like a block lock ruler that has that channel in there that you really can get a nice accurate cut for whatever size you're cutting. Flying geese is another unit, um, but I, I really like to make things a little larger and then trim them down. I know some people don't, and that's not how we write it for the magazine. In the magazines, we write instructions so they're the exact size. So when you're, uh, we do give the option sometimes though, that if you are somebody that likes to trim down, that we'll give you an option of instead of this size, cut this size. But remember that the instructions we give in the magazine almost always will, will have the exact measurements that you need to get your blocks to, get, to fit together correctly. Great tip. So our second question comes from, so this is how it is, 56 on Instagram. And she asks, should I use minky fabric for backing? What are the pros and cons? I love minky for the back of a quilt because I love that it makes it warm and, and cuddly. Um, I, I especially like using it for a quilt that I'm going to gift um, to someone. So um, what do you think are some of the cons of Well, using that? I think one of the things that people need to think about when you're using Minky, which is a plush kind of higher pile fabric, if you're not familiar with it, it just feels like velvet. It feels so nice and soft, and so it does make a great backing. But I think, first of all, you need to start with a new needle. And just remember to clean out your bobbin case. I think a little more frequently, you're gonna get some of that buzz in there that you maybe normally don't get. And so just remember to check your, your bobbin case and get that buzz out of there. Um, I think also pinning 
a little more frequently can also help when you're working with minky because it can slide. Yeah, it's going to shift probably yeah. a little more than a cotton backing. Right, and especially if you're trying to uh, sew two pieces together to like make your backing because you need to make it bigger. If you're sewing two pieces of minky together, um, pinning it a little more often is going to help it not move around quite so much in your machine. Oh, you also want to remember, don't iron directly. Minky is a polyester, and so you don't want to put your iron on that. You'll singe it, and you'll be very sorry that you did. So, Taking uh, batting into consideration when using your Minky is another. Either use a low loft batting, or I know some people that have used it, and they don't put batting in it at all if they don't want to add that extra thickness and warmth and heaviness to it. And I guess the last tip I would say for people is to increase your stitch length. You don't need to have a super tight, small stitch. And actually, it'll probably help you get the fabric through the machine a little better if you increase your stitch length. Great tips, ladies. If you have a question for us, submit it to be answered on air by emailing us at apqpodcast at meredith.com or by reaching out on social media. Now Jody and Doris will be taking it behind the scenes from the Crafts Lab, a segment where we share a behind-the-scenes look at what's happening in the office. So what exciting things do you both have happening? Well, this is Jody, and American Patchwork and Quilting October 2019 issue, which hits newsstands August 2nd. We have a really fun feature on looking at your dream sewing room space. And so what we've actually have like an 11 page story that's going to be featuring different ways to optimize your storage and your organization in your sewing room. Um, This is a really hands-on practical story. It's not something that uh, people will look at and go, well, I could never do that. These are really practical tips and ideas, and I think the photography is wonderful. So you want to be checking that out in the October issue. We also have a pin cushion that features some embroidery from Kathy Schmidt. So if you've been wondering how to do some hand stitching, there's seven different stitches that are featured in that pin cushion. And we have some great autumn-inspired quilts. Uh, including some that have maple leaves and pumpkins and some fall coloring. And if you're not into that decorating, we also have some other uh, a 1930s quilt that gives you some great options for a different color palette as well as a quilt made with curves and it's solids. So Doris, what do you have coming up in Quilt Sampler? Well, we're just um, busy wrapping up the fall-winter 2019 issue of Quilt Sampler, which will be on newsstands August 23rd. Um, It features 10 uh, North American shops, um, excuse me, nine North American shops and one Canadian shop. And each shop has an exclusive pattern included in the issue. And I think this one's got something for everyone. There's a really great uh, bed size um, modern quilt design in there and a wonderful, like very traditional looking um, bed size quilts project in there as well. And we even have a bag in this issue, which is, is new for quilt sampler. But Very exciting. So mark your calendars for these issues so you can look for them on newsstands. I'm now joined by Allison, the designer of Quilts and More for Quilting Changes Everything, a segment where we share stories of quilters making a difference in their communities. Allison has a great story for us today. Yeah, so I first came across this story from the Daily Gazette, 
And uh, I just thought it was amazing because it's about this guy who's using sewing to turn his life around, which is amazing. So a man by the name of Mark Sincere Barr, he likes to go by the name Sincere, (laughs) um, was born and raised in Freeport, Long Island, and he now lives in Schenectady. So most nights he resides at the Schenectady City Missions Men's Shelter. But during the day, he likes to sew at Electric City Barn. Um, and this is a maker space that opened in 2018. And so people in the community can go and learn and work on different creative endeavors and just kind of collaborate. It's a great workspace. So Sincere works on the second floor of the building, and it just looks like a typical designer studio. And he works on sewing garments. Working at the space is the first time he worked on sewing projects. He actually first learned how to sew while he was incarcerated in Greenhaven Correctional Facility, where he spent six years. So Sincere had long struggled with drug addiction and substance abuse and just kind of struggled to find a purpose for living. Um, And he kind of hit rock bottom one day and was involved in a high-speed chase um, and police altercation. He ended up threatening and cutting an officer. He was shot a bunch of times um, and was charged with attempted assault and therefore was sentenced to six years in prison. So in prison is when he first actually started sewing, which I think is awesome. So he would work on altering prisoners' uniforms and he would also make bow ties for them to wear. He got fabric anywhere he could. There were some upholstery classes that were available in the prison that he you know, took their scraps to work from. Um, And he just said it was a great way for him to pass time while he was incarcerated. And he did that throughout his time there. And then he was released in 2008. And he decided to, you know, use his creative passion to help others from making mistakes that he did in his past that, you know, landed him in prison. So he spent time working with the Power of Peace program, which helps teens and kids learn conflict management skills. He met and the, his mentor and friend, Mickey Kahn, um, and they like quickly bonded, had kind of a mother-son relationship and just really connected. So he worked with her for a while and, you know, was kind of struggling to figure out what he wanted to do with his life. And so Mickey suggested, you know, why don't you use your sewing passion and turn it into a career? So Mickey helped him with, along with an associate executive editor of the shelter where he was staying, so he could establish his sewing business and career. So initially he was provided with four sewing machines on the condition that he would participate in this Bridges to Freedom program, which is a year-long discipleship and recovery program, because they wanted to make sure that, you know, he was still keeping his life on track while pursuing his passion. So it was during this time that he continued to sew and create garments and actually put on his first fashion show, um, which debuted at the Electric City Barn, the workspace I mentioned earlier. And about 50 people showed up, which is so cool. Um, And following the event, Sincere was invited to become a member of the organization and has been working there ever since. So the Makerspace supports people who are trying to get small businesses off the ground and focus on their art. So it's really dear to Sincere because this space helped him, you know, land on his feet. So he's been there for about a year now and has been sewing nonstop. And he said he feels like he's graduated to a new level of tailoring. <laughs> um, so he's continued to work on garments um, and is getting ready for another fashion show. Um, and he also works on various commission things, you know, if people have a prom dress or something that needs to be made. He isn't stopping there. Next on his agenda, he wants to try to get fabrics directly from Africa 
so he can make traditional African garb with authentic materials. He just wants to make sure he pays homage and respect to his culture. So that's next on his, you know, to-do list. He's already received guidance from peers at the Electric City Barn, the City Mission, and friends to make all of his sewing dreams a possibility. Wow, I love that story. Yeah, it's a great you know, a great motivator and realize, you know, it just takes one little kind of passion project to turn your life around. Absolutely. Well, if you're interested in learning more about some of the programs that Allison mentioned in the story, please visit our show notes. We'll make sure to link them there so you can find more information. We'll be back after this quick ad break. Welcome to Getting Social with Jess. I'm your host, Jess Ziegler, and each week I'm going to be bringing you conversations with designers and artists and makers from the quilting community, people that I really look up to and have been inspired by, who I want to learn from, and who I think have some really great things going on that I want to share with the rest of you. So yeah, that's the plan. And I'm going to jump back in after the interview to tell you how you can get in touch with the show and with me personally. And we're just going to go from there. Okay. This is an exciting new adventure and I'm so glad you're here with me. So thank you. I am so totally honored that the first guest that I asked to join me actually agreed. And here we are. Giuseppe Rubato is a super talented fabric designer for Andover. He designs patterns too. Actually, he does many things and does them quite well. You may have seen him on Instagram. He's Juicy Juice on that platform. And he has a pincushion pattern coming out with American Patchwork and Quilting. So be on the lookout for that. Thank you for being the bravest of all guinea pigs. (laughs) (laughs) Did I leave anything out of the intro? What can you tell us about your life and your quilting story? Oh, that was a great intro. Thank you. Um, I appreciate the kind words. Yes, I live in uh, Queens, New York, just outside of Manhattan. I have worked for Andover Fabrics as well as um, for my day job, as well as my side hustle is Juicy Juice. So I basically, um, my day-to-day for Andover, I'm the multimedia manager. So I handle a lot of customer and consumer facing things. So for instance, I work on sales presentations that we'll have. I work on updating our website with the new fabric collections that we release. Mm -hmm. I help to plan our quilt market booths and things like that. The thing that I love the most about my job is that I get to work with a lot of different departments. I I kind of get hands-on time with with most of the people who work at the company. I really enjoy that. So that's my Clark Kent. And then my Superman is Juicy (laughs) Juice. <laughs> I love it. Speaking, I don't want to leave her out. We got to give a shout out to Daryl, your work wife. My work wife, hey, Daryl. <laughs> I love her to death. She's in England right now, and I miss her oh, terribly. She is. Yeah. Oh it was great to see you at QuiltCon, Quilt I guess that was. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And maybe Market. I think too. at Market too. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. Lucky this year and seeing you at two places. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that is awesome. Well, you are so great to follow on Instagram. Speaking of Thanks. your Superman, <laughs> and your stories are particularly good. So I was just minding my own business one night, getting sucked into stories like you do. And <laughs> I was just like scrolling, watching, watching. And then I came across your story and it was like clear that something had happened in the sky. And it was so <laughs> funny because I was too early to really know what it was, but there was like this light display. And I wonder if you could tell our listeners go back to that day tell us what happened absolutely it was a really it was such a crazy experience Um, I was in my apartment in Queens it was um, not super late at night but it was dark out and I was in the bathroom shaving and then Mm -hmm. I saw the the lights above I have like those kind of like stage light spotlight kind of lights around the mirror you know so I saw those lights they just dimmed really slowly (laughs) and 
And then they came back up again real slow. And I went into the living room and my boyfriend was watching TV. And I mm-hmm. said to him, um, did you see that weird thing that happened with the lights? He's like, yeah, the TV just like faded to dark and then faded back up again. And I was like, gosh, that was so, so strange. And so I, would, I went over to the window. We were like getting ready to, you know, to go to sleep for the night. And I went over to the window to close the blinds. And I see outside, there's like this rippling color of like, mm-hmm. like undulating between aqua and like teal and green. It was so wicked. Yeah. And and so I told Steve, come take a look at this. And we looked out the window and we thought like it must just be because, you know, we're in Queens. So there's like apartment yeah. buildings really close to each other. Sure. And so I was like looking out and I thought like it's got to be like a TV on our side reflecting onto the building across mm-hmm. the street. And but then we looked up at the sky and we just kept looking. And then as we're looking, we see other people coming to the windows to look yeah. to see what this light is. Oh, crazy. It was just so crazy. <laughs> and so the two of us looked at each other and we were both crazy alien horror sci-fi fans. <laughs> Like, I mean, it's just our favorite. We love it. It's like the thing that we have the most in common. And so we looked at each other and I mean, granted, we've seen a lot of movies, but we looked at each other and with such certainty (laughs) just thought the aliens are here. (laughs) Like there's just, there was nothing. The time has come. (laughs) Yeah, truly. Like it is just, it is happening right now. And so we literally like didn't even put on our shoes, ran down, down the six flights of stairs to the, to the, to the ground. And we were just like laughing hysterically the whole time, like just like childlike glee, you know? Right. And um, we get downstairs and just as we got outside, just as I opened the door, I could see the light kind of like zoom out of the air. Okay. And we were, we get onto the street and we're like looking up desperately trying to find it again. And there was these guys um, all standing on the street and you can hear like babies are crying and mothers are comforting oh, them. Right. And, and like, it was just so surreal. It was just sure. so bizarre. Yeah. And so I run over to the guys and I was like, did you see that? Like, you must've seen that, right? And Every single one of us were like, dude, that was just, that was straight up alien. Like, without any <laughs> doubt. And like, with all of these <laughs> rational people on the street who don't know each other, just all like, there's right. no way that yes, was anything was but something. aliens. <laughs> oh, that is so wild. It was crazy, yeah. I was in the middle of designing my new line of fabric that's coming out. I was in the middle of drawing it. It was about aliens. And I was having so many doubts oh about gosh. whether or not it was like a good idea for me to do this. Because I was like, I mean, that's something, that's pretty different. Because it, it wasn't is. in like, it's not a novelty alien group that I was designing. Like, sure. It was a very sophisticated alien group. Absolutely. And so I was like, this is a gamble, you know? Uh-huh. I was so nervous about it. And I just, I kept thinking to myself, I just need a sign to know that I'm on the right track. And then okay, that universe. <laughs> I mean, thank you, universe, right? That is wonderful. That's so crazy. Yeah, it was so very cool. When you said you were drawing, is that how you work mostly off of sketches first and then take it to the computer? A little bit of both. It kind of okay. depends. What really, for me, like when I say working on it, I mostly mean like, you know, I'm, I'm working on my fifth line right now. So I don't have, you know, nearly as much experience at this as like the Tulas and the Allisons. But the way that I kind of operate it is I sort of list the ideas in my head and I, oh, I kind of come up with like a pivotal image okay. of sorts. And I give that image a name and I make separate lists throughout. Like I think of different iterations of what the line could look like in these lists. And if I can write down a phrase or a word that is not a literal representation of what the images would be, and I constantly picture that same thing over and over again, yes, I know that that's supposed to be fabric. Whoa! Yeah, it's a weird word. I love it! There's more wordplay than I would expect in, where you I'm, know, like concepts or ideas. Yeah. I'm that's very, really I'm, cool. language is my number one way of, I mean, I'm, I like to talk and I studied English. I was an actor. So language mm-hmm. is really big for me. I love that. Yeah. So I always, if I can, if I can see a word and an image comes right to my mind, then mm-hmm. I know that I'm on the right track with something. When you're struggling to think of something, do you off 
often like see the first letter in your mind. <laughs> I never really or thought maybe about that's just it. Me. Sometimes when I'm struggling to come up with a, a word or a phrase, I can almost like see the letter, but nothing else. That's just kind of a tangent. <laughs> no, but I can kind of see that. I can kind of see that like that because I say uh-huh. it all the time. Like if I'm thinking of a word, I'll be like, it starts with the letter T. Uh-huh. So I think yeah. so. Yeah. Yes, I, do I guess so. Too. I never really I, thought I, about I wonder it. if everybody does that, but yeah. anyway. <laughs> maybe I'm just like struggling more than most to come up with words, which is really good thing that I have a podcast now. Um, no. So thank you for sharing that. Declassified is the name of this line yeah. that we're talking about. So you had started the idea and the concepts. This event happened. It solidified things for you and you went it, forward. It actually kind of changed things for oh, me. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So like originally the line was about, it was very much inspired by um, 1950s, like alien propaganda oh, okay. style work. Uh-huh. Um, and like kind of like Orson Wellesian sure. feeling collection. Yeah. Um, but then what happened after this night was, I mean, I, as you can imagine, was doing crazy research to try to figure out what the heck had happened that night. I mean, we're talking about the sky of Manhattan lit up in blue. Yes. Like we're not talking about a singular tiny little pocket of Queens who saw this light. We were talking right. about the entire skyline of Manhattan Did was blue. Mm-hmm. There was so little coverage about it. I mean, this is Manhattan we're talking about. Right. There was hardly anything about it. And so mm-hmm. I immediately was like, there's clearly covering something. Yeah. Like, there, there, something happened that they don't want us to know about and they're hardly talking sure. about it. And so that's when I started leaning more into less of my love of horror sci-fi and more mm-hmm. about like the X-Files and the conspiracy oh, theory yeah. side of things. Mm-hmm. So that totally, and I'm so happy it did because, I mean, I'm just so excited about this line. I'm so yes. happy with how it looks. But it wasn't weird enough to do an alien line. I had to do a group about covering up the aliens. <laughs> that's a very it's good super point. Specific. Fair point. And I would expect that the colors are reflected from what you saw in the Definitely. sky and some of that yeah that's a Definitely. great range and it I feel like it fits in really well with your other lines as well yeah I mean I use a lot of different types of colors in my mm-hmm. work and so I want to try to create as much of a range as I can you know sometimes it's gems sometimes it's bright sometimes mm-hmm. it's dusty hues mm-hmm. and so I want all of the lines to I want them to work together of course but sure. I also want them to feel I want them to be really strong palettes and I want you to see the colors and go, oh, I know exactly what group that's from. Because okay, color for me is definitely it. the number one. Oh, it's huge. You know? And yeah. anybody who looks at your Instagram feed can tell that you're very into color and it's yeah. it's who you are. Mm-hmm. And speaking of um, the spectrostatic yeah. line, those are blenders, right? And those will be out in August? In August, Did perfect, I... yeah. Okay, and then Declassified is out in October. Exactly. Is that right? right. Mm-hmm. Okay, awesome. Well, I saw you working with the spectrostatic fabric on your recent trip. Mm-hmm. And you were doing an English paper piecing project. Yeah, I'm working yeah. on this new English paper. I was actually traveling to Florida to one of the classes I was teaching down there was oh, English okay. paper piecing. Oh, fabulous. Yeah, usually I tend to, I try to knit in the fall and in the winter and then in the summer and the spring, oh, I, I tend to do English you. paper piecing. Okay, do you have your like a favorite English paper piecing tip that you could share with us? Yeah, sure. Well, my favorite tools, how about that? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, my, well, I have two. One is a really good sharp needle. Oh, you know, that's interesting. Yeah. Like hey, that basic. is just the most important thing. The most. And so like, I like the Richard Hemming and Son Milliner needles. Okay. That's can... my favorite one. Okay. Say that and again. Yeah. Richard Hemmings and Sons. I think okay. that's how you say it. Okay. Cool. Um, it's a German needle, I believe. And they are just like, I still have the first pack that I bought. Like Whoa. actually, was my friend Karen, who I do my English paper piece and patterns with, uh-huh. she sent them to me when I, when we started working together and she said, I think you should try these needles. I think you really yes. like them. And they were like totally changed, changed my your life. life. I love them. Ah, awesome. I yeah, love that. Yeah. I love them. It's great. 
great to get a tip like that. You mm-hmm. can so fully endorse. Um, so the other one is the type of thread that you use. And I am all about the polyester thread for English paper uh-huh. Okay. So that is huge. Um, and, and my favorite, favorite, favorite by far. It comes in a great range of colors and it works beautifully. It's Wonderfill's Invisifil. Okay. And that's um, an 80 weight polyester thread. And I love it. Awesome. And that sounds yeah. like it will go with any project. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's perfect for any. It's not like an overwhelming amount of color, which is really great. Sure. Um, and you can choose. I had like an orchid color fabric from uh, Spectrostatic I was working with, and I didn't have a color that was quite right. So I used a darker purple, and it's still mm-hmm. like the stitches just melt away. They're, oh, it's, good. It's fantastic. Yeah, That's it's good awesome. stuff. That's awesome. Okay, wonderful. And the polyester thread comes in a range of colors, but not too many to be overwhelmed. No. Is that like what you're saying? 30, yeah, it's like 30 or so oh, colors. Okay. But they're like really great colors that will work well with everything. So when you said invisible, I wondered if it was like a clear or something but no it's no. just they're invisible by the way they disappear into the fabric yeah, exactly. okay as yeah. a quilter sometimes I think of like the invisible thread you mm-hmm. know that's totally clear so, oh yeah like okay. the monofilament that's, thing yeah that, exactly yeah, yeah. that was the mm-hmm. one. I saw an M but no <laughs> 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 Couldn't come up with a word. Thank you. Um, okay. Thank you for spending so much time with us today and yeah. answering my questions and being my first guest ever. If anyone wants or hasn't already started following Giuseppe on Instagram, he's Juicy Juice and it's G-I-U-C-Y underscore G-I-U-C-E. Thanks again for being with me. Yeah, we look forward to seeing what you are up to next in the industry. We're just really excited about the work that you're putting out and we wish you continued success always. Thank you so much. I appreciate (laughs) it. And best of luck on the podcast. I can't wait to listen. Hey, thank you so much. Yeah. Okay. Quick postscript just because it's super funny. Um, When he wished me good luck on the podcast, my face, and I know this because we recorded on Skype, was so bonkers (laughs) that I took a screen cap and I will post that in my Instagram stories. So that would be a great way to get in touch with me personally. I'm at Threaded Quilting on Instagram. Thanks again, you guys. Until next week. Bye. How fun was that story of Giuseppe's newest fabric line coming together? To see some extra photos and to get links to his favorite English paper piecing products, make sure to visit our show notes at allpeoplequilt.com slash podcast and look for episode 427. Hi all and thanks for listening. Keep in touch. American Patchwork and Quilting is on Facebook, Pinterest, and Instagram at All People Quilt. Email us at apqpodcast at meredith.com. Resources for this week can be found at allpeoplequilt.com slash podcast. And if you love the American Patchwork and Quilting podcast, please subscribe on your favorite podcast app for free. And don't forget to rate and review the show. It helps other quilters find us. Have a creative week.